Hey everybody, this is Yochaved. Welcome to A Deeper Conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. I know it's been a while since I've posted, since before Pesach. It has been crazy busy and I've been wanting to post earlier, but it is what it is. Life happens and Pesach was amazing, but recovering from it sometimes seems like almost more work than actually the Pesach itself. And now we're heading into a new Yantif, Shvuas. And it's also going to be Yom Yerushalayim in two days, which is why I really pushed to get this episode out today. You are about to hear a conversation with Mrs. Karen May. Now, Mrs. May and her husband, Rabbi May, were friends with my parents. I remember them back as long as I can remember having memories. They were all good friends. And in fact, um, Mrs. May's daughter, Sari, was one of my best friends from childhood. But one of the things that I remembered about Mrs. May always was what an ardent Zionist she was. And in our circles, my father was in yeshiva, my mother's from a Hasidish family. I certainly didn't hear messages like the, of the love of Eretz Yisrael or love of the state of Israel as much as maybe Mrs. May's kids heard growing up. But it always stood out to me that not only her love of Eretz Yisrael, but also as you'll hear in this podcast, you know, a strong sense of self and a strong strongly held opinions and and not at all shy to share those opinions with anybody. So from the very beginning when I started this podcast and I made sort of a list of who are some of the women that I wanted to talk to, the goal was just to talk to Jewish women because I, I really feel like every Jewish woman has something to say. We all have something to learn from and I wanted to just talk to as many people as I can on this podcast. Hopefully, by the way, I have a few more conversations like ready to go and recorded to share with you that are just so incredibly awesome. But anyways, in my initial list that I had made, Mrs. May was on that list and we had been back and forth for like the last year trying to coordinate and then finally it was like one of those things where you're planning and planning and planning something and then it's just last minute like let's just do it today I'm, I'm here you're here let's record and I didn't even realize I thought in my mind I said okay I know it's Yom Yerushalayim in two days and so yay we'll talk about the state of Israel and I happen to really uh, something about Yom Yerushalayim really always touches me I feel very emotional about it I don't know if it's because I've read a lot about the six-day war there's also there's footage, there's video, you know, we've seen that it's just dramatic, you know, the dramatic footage of uh, the Chayalim, like taking back the Har Habayis. It always strikes me as being, you know, just such a holy and spiritual day. Um, and I didn't realize that actually um, it's also Mrs. May's birthday. And so it was just so, everything sort of fell together. And it was so bashart that I got a chance to record and have a conversation about being a Zionist, being an activist, loving Eretz Yisrael, how that could be part of our identity. And I hope that you'll listen to the end because the, you know the last question, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I always ask the same last question, which is, from your experience, what message would you give Jewish women? And I love Mrs. May's answer so much, and I have a few thoughts about it that I will share at the end after you've gotten a chance to listen to this episode. So I hope that you enjoy it. And before we get into it, I always, of course, have to say, if you want to reach me, please email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, consider supporting the podcast either by becoming a sponsor or donating monthly. You could go to maverickpodcasting.com, click on, click on the link to my page, and you'll see this like a little heart sign with a, like a money symbol there. Five, ten dollars a month really helps to keep the podcast going. Um, you can also uh, like I said, you can consider sponsoring, but if you can't help financially, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give our show a five-star rating, which really, really does help. And then, of course, I just love to hear feedback from everybody. So if you want to email me at a deeper conversation, 120 at gmail.com, I would love to hear from you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. 
This is A Deeper Conversation, the podcast for Jewish women. Welcome. Hi, Mrs. May. Welcome to the podcast. What a pleasure to finally get to speak with you. My daughter's very good friend and our friends of many, many years. That's right. And and this has been a long time coming that we've been back and forth, I think, for like, I don't know, almost a year trying to make this happen. Because I remember last time we spoke was also around Yom Hatzma'ot time. And I was thinking when I think Zionist, I think about my friend Sari's mother, Mrs. May, who even back in the day, I mean, you were always an ardent Zionist, but it, I didn't know that many people who were like in our yeshiva circles, it was a, a little bit unusual. And now we're almost uh, two days from Yerushalayim. So I'm just so happy that we're talking now. So uh, maybe, I mean, I've known you for many years, but maybe you could tell my audience a little bit about your background, how you grew up. Sure, I'd love to. First of all, as you say, we're two days from Yom Yerushalayim. For those who are not aware, Yom Yerushalayim is Kavchet Iyar. Kavchet is Koach, you know, the strength of Iyar. And we know Iyar is the month of Refua, the month of healing. And we really do need a lot of healing. And I also was born on Yom Yerushalayim. So it's sort of like a mission that was given to me, even though when I was born, there was no such thing as Yom Yerushalayim, since I don't want to get my age right now. And um, it's something that means a lot to me. So I will tell you a little bit about my background, but it's interesting how to give a portrait of your childhood. Because you remember childhood from being a child, And then as you get older, you think back and you go, hmm, is that really what happened? Do I remember it correctly? Do I have the right feelings, et cetera? So I was a unique person in the sense that I was born to two American parents. What I mean by that is not only were my parents born in America in 1930, but their parents, meaning my grandparents, came to America around 1919 or 1910. And they themselves were like five or six months old when they came to America. Wow. So that that would mean my great, great grandparents were here when they were um, in their 20s and 30s. So I feel like I am red, white, and blue. And even when I went to Central, girls used to call me red, white, and blue, apple pie. They thought it was embarrassing. I would just give them a salute and say, here I am, Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> so I grew up very American, and I didn't have um, the obstacles and challenges that so many of my classmates did have as survivors of the Holocaust and parents who survived the Holocaust. So it really was a different path to even um, to even walk on, you know, when you were American, like everyone imagined, like if you kept kosher and Shabbos and you dressed somewhat modestly, like, who are you? Where are you from? Is your father a Rebbe? And just to let the world know that there was a great American movement. There was the Young Israel Movement at that time. There were day schools. I went to a co-ed day school. We were very involved with the Jewish war veterans at that time. And there was a lot going on even for um, American Jewish people. My grandfather, meaning my father's, my mother's father, was the first graduating class of RJJ. So her family was always much more, as we call it, religious, while my father's family was much more traditional. 
you know, they did um, um, limited amounts of mitzvahs, but they had a lot of Jewish pride. So growing up in that environment, being an American, when I tell people that the only Rabbanim um, that I ever heard of was Reb Moshe Feinstein or the Lubavitcher Rebbe, people later on in life said, you, you never heard of the Satma Rebbe? You never heard of... Um, Rabaran Cutler, and they say, who are they? You know, what did they do? It was a different life living then. My parents' friends were people who um, who were in the war, um, veteran, the North Korean War, or they were in World War II. But the part about the part about um, Holocaust was not a strong part in, in our life. My mother was an activist from birth. She used to collect packages and it was sent through, I think it was HIAS, H-I-A-S, like Hebrew Institute or Immigrant. And she would send to Poland all types of food and clothing. I always wonder if it really got there. And she went to Madison Square Garden when there was a big, big demonstration in the 1940s against Roosevelt to please go and help the Jews. So there was always a lot of activism in the house. My father was the president of our yeshiva, Yeshiva Sharet Sedek. My mother was the head of the PTA. They were just people who were always doing, and Judaism was just a strong part of life. So and it, you grew up in Coney Island, is that right? Yes, I grew up in Coney Island. Some people might think of that as the amusement park of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. We were the first people who had kosher king. So we became very popular. The first takeout fast foods over there. Most people know it. Steeplechase and Cyclone and Beaches. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, Ramosha and Rev Yaakov Kamenetsky used to come and hang out there during the summer. That's Do you remember where, them? Um, my grandfather had a fish store and it was the only kosher fish store. So he remembers and he used to tell me, I would have asked them to text me, but there was no such thing to tell me when they're coming to the fish store, their wives. And um, I do remember seeing Reb Moshe on one or two occasions. And as a matter of fact, Reb David's wife was from Seagate. So Coney Island and Seagate was this little enclave. You know, I I call it very out of town in in those days. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting, you know, as you're talking about um, being American and, you know, what it was like back in the, you know, I guess you're talking when you were a child, maybe 1950s, 1960s. Correct. Correct. Um, I think, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and even the difference from then till now, as far as Torah in America, it's like such a change. Like I felt like in the 1980s, if you were going to, and I had this conversation when I had my mom on the podcast, I did a podcast with my mother and my daughter, and we were talking about how you know, the, the change from when my mother got married, marrying somebody and learning was just really not something that people did. When I got married, it was kind of like half my class did, half my class didn't, but you still sort of had to, you know, explain yourself if you wanted to marry somebody and learning. And now it's just taken for granted that when you get married, you're learning, you know, your husband's learning for a few years. And if that's not what you're doing in certain circles, you sort of have to explain yourself. And it's like, what do you think about that change that you've seen from in America when there was so like Torah was in had been in Europe and that slow change to America. And I think actually now though, we're seeing the change from America to Eretz Yisrael back where it belongs. But what do you think about that? Um, I think you described it beautifully. 
I remember when I got married and I told my friends I was moving to Queens, they made me a goodbye party. And I sort of said, um, why are you all giving me cards and little presents? Queens, you know, Queens is one of the boroughs of New York City. They go, oh, no, we've never been there. How do you get there? And as you say, someone in learning, they were going like, what is he going to learn? You mean he wants to be a rabbi? And especially in Chafetz Chaim, as you know, learning was really very set up for a completely unique way of life, which was Harbatsis Satora, going out to little communities. And even when we went every summer to bungalow colonies, I remember when you and I were together in Menorah mm. and we would meet, you know, the entire Brooklyn Kahila and we'd say, well, we're out in Patchogue or we're out in Suffolk County. And they go, that sounds like a Suffolk. Where is that? And it was like an unknown. It was an unknown to people. And why are you doing that? Are you Lubavitchers? And it was uh, a completely different way of life. I would say in some ways it's um, um, beneficial or positive that we've moved in that direction. I think we've lost a lot of the nostalgia, a lot of the warmth, a lot of the intimacy, a lot of knowing people. You know, it was very normal to go to a co-ed school and it was very normal to have NCSY or B'nai Akiva and we weren't polarized. I won't mention even publicly who was part of the B'nai Akiva because many of them are market shares now or even their children or grandchildren don't know about it. And um, I think it's a little bit of a loss. And I think especially, especially the loss of Eretz Yisrael and Chashivas of Eretz Yisrael is completely lost. In my days, my shul, the young Israel of Coney Island, had two flags on the bima. There was an American flag and there was an Israeli flag. And it was the norm. Everyone knew blue and white, that's Israeli flags. And every school or almost every school, nowadays I know Philly does it, they would, I pledge allegiance every morning. They would sing the Star Spangled Banner. And in my schools, they sang Hatikva. We all knew that Israel was home and that we were living here, but our brothers and sisters in Israel were the real heroes and pioneers. So it's a plus to see Torah grow and to see how much we're influencing the world with Torah. But I think that we lost a little bit on the way. That's so interesting. I think that's always true of progress, that yes. something is lost. And I think also as the Jewish community has gotten so much bigger, you're talking about when you were growing up, it was really right after the Holocaust. When I was growing up, you know, you're talking 30 years later, everybody knew everybody else. I remember the first time somebody handed me a shidduch resume, you know, a girl who was looking for shidduch. They didn't have such things when I was dating. And I thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. Like, what do you mean a shidduch resume? But like, the truth is, everybody doesn't know everybody anymore. Like we used right. to, right. you know, right. so, right. you know, you need to introduce yourself. And, you know, part of the downside of the community getting bigger is that it does become polarized and people retreat into their identity groups and have misperceptions about other Jews based on things that usually are very silly and external. It's mainly because we don't know each other very well, but I think that culture does go with us because when I think of all of my children who got married and all my machatanim, I would say that most of them are American-based, not 100 mm -hmm. percent, but most of them are, and most of them have a tremendous love of Eretz Yisrael. Two of my machatanim live in Harnof, you know, Grunberg's in the Shalom's. And um, 
just we all knew we were also more of the same age group. We all knew about when um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. We all knew about the Six Day War. We all celebrated Antebi Raid, you know, with singing and dancing. And it was just a part of life that just um, it sort of was in your veins. It wasn't an, an, it wasn't abnormal. Our schools went to the Israel Day Parade. You know, nowadays, if, you know, there's something going on in June's and you say, oh, I can't go that Sunday, I'm going to the Israel Day Parade. They go, oh, who makes that? Who does that? Where is it? What is it? But we marched as a school. We marched as a school in the Israel Day Parade. I don't want to mention all the other schools that marched then. <laughs> it was such an exciting blue and white day. And we were so proud of all the accomplishments and a lot of that got lost. And I guess I nominated myself as the ambassador of um, love of Israel or the passion of love of Israel to continue it going. You know, when you look around the people, everyone takes a passion. You mm -hmm. know, I have um, some children that are very into making sure they exercise daily. Our passions don't always have to be Judaism oriented. Mm -hmm. Their passion could be nutrition. Their passion could be visiting the sick. That said, there are those who go to visit Kvarim, you know, whenever there's a Kvarim trip, etc. Everyone has a passion. But I think that there has to be overall passions. There has to be something that's part of your life that is Judaism. I just came back from a shir. I, I just very, very quick. I just came back from a shir this morning on Bar Midbar, and they were talking about counting and counting how many Levi, how many Naftali, and on and on, counting, counting. And one of the reasons of counting is so that they should know how much land they needed in Eretz Yisrael. I mean, that in every parasha, there's something about Avas Eretz Yisrael. And as a teacher, why aren't we giving that over to al Talmidim? Mm. I mean, why don't they know that? Benos Slavchad would not give up because they wanted a Nachla and Eretz Yisrael. There are so many in Yanim there in the Torah that we can give over to the children because a lot of the schools say, Mrs. May, Zionism, that's very hard to teach in the schools, you know, the past, the negative. But there's so much positive to right. teach about well i had this program with another friend of mine we donated um maps to different schools in brooklyn a map of eretz Yisrael. you know and here they are you know you're learning about avram and showing that you know hey this is where hebron is this is where beersheba this is really the path when you go to seminary girls when you guys go on your tlm and go to natanya you're walking these roads you're going on these places and I remember a few of the schools said, well, why do they have to have a map of Israel? I said, God forbid you hear about stay roads and rockets. Don't we want to know where it is? Don't you want to be part of it? Don't you want to feel that energy and that sympathy and empathy? So, you know, it's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to share a story with my audience because I said in the beginning of this podcast that you were my friend's mother that was the Zionist. So I, because you mentioned Antebi, so I have to say this. I so remember coming to your house in Patchog um, right after Yoni was born. And how old is Yoni now? Yoni is getting close to the 40th year. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Um, okay. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that I was in fourth or fifth grade and I asked you, you say, what's his name? His name is Yonatan. And I said, who is he named after? And you said, Yoni from Entebbe. And I was like, who is that? I didn't know who that was. But that memory always stayed in my mind that, you know, obviously that connection to Yisrael that you name your son after you know, a, a really incredible Israeli hero. But maybe let's just go back a little bit because you talked to, you mentioned briefly, your mother was, was always an act, you know, an activist, an activist for Eretz Yisrael. And I wanted to maybe just ask you about growing up with parents, activists for Eretz Yisrael, specifically about the JDL. For sure, for sure. Um, my parents were very involved in their shul. Yet they did not have like a Rebbe um, or a yeshiva background that they were connected to. So they always had their eyes and ears open for going to Sheorim and going to classes and learning something new. And it was unbelievable when we were in yeshiva, my brother and I, they used to come home and they'd say, teach us. And they said, our tuition is paying for four people instead of two, because we're all learning together with you. And they really were very, um, very, um, um, what would I say? They really had a strong passion to know and to understand and to learn more and more. It was very interesting that, you know, most parents read children books at night or bedtime stories, et cetera. So my parents had a lot, a lot of Jewish pride, and I'll get to that in a moment. So I remember, you know, it just came up in conversation, the books that my father would read to us at night, Rabbi Akiva, because he was strong and he was a gibor and he was a fan of Bar Kokhba revolt. And then Shimshon, you know, he fought and he used his physical prowess. You know, anyone that we learned about, they had to have like a a moment in Tanakh where they overcame the enemies. And then we'd go on and I remember he read about Zev Jabotinsky and many people go like, who are these people? Why are you reading about them? Why do you care? So anyway, when they wanted to go to classes, a friend of them told them that there was someone speaking in their neighborhood in Brighton Beach, and his name was Rabbi Mayor Kahana. So my parents um, said, great, we're going to go. I was very lucky. My grandparents lived right above me, so babysitting was not an issue very often. So they were able to gallop out to wherever they wanted to, and I loved being with grandma and grandpa. And they went to hear Rabbi Kahana. Now, I have to say, they were bought into the system. Hook, sinker, it was them. He spoke about Jewish pride. He spoke about Eretz Israel. He spoke about that's our home. That's where we belong. And they also liked the idea of protecting Jews. Um, Years ago, Baruch Hashem, it's not so apparent now, even though it's getting worse, On Halloween night, which is October 30th or 31st, it was a custom among non-Jews to go and um, destroy Jewish cemeteries, either graffiti or they would knock over the stones, etc. And they would throw rocks and eggs at shuls. I guess that was how they celebrated. So I remember the Rav Birnbaum, Zechron Tzadik Levracha, of the Mir Yeshiva called um, Mayor Kahana. And Mayor Kahana used to have a group called the Chaya Squad. Not sure that that's what, um, you know, is such a prominent name, but they were known <laughs> as the tough guys. You know, they all had brass knuckles. They all had nunchucks. They all had 
all this type of equipment at home that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And Rebirmbaum called my father and said, could you please come down to the yeshiva and protect us? You know, it's Halloween. They always throw eggs at us, etc." So my father went down with four other guys. They stood there looking very fierce, you know, and nobody came by that night and nobody threw the eggs. And then another time Rebirmbaum called them and they went again. On the third time, my father said, L'chvod harav. I just looked in your base measures. You have beautiful young men. They're all strong. They're all able-bodied. I want you to teach them, have them come out and have them stand there and protect their yeshiva and do it. So this was something my parents were very involved with. We went to demonstrations for Soviet Jewry when Natan Sharansky was released and Yosef Mendelovitz. It was like a personal party in our house. Wow. And we went to meet them. And, you know, they they were like our friends and we wanted to do for them. I remember my mother was even arrested once at a demonstration and she had Sari in a stroller. And I remember my father and I are watching this triple SJ um, demonstration in front of the Russian compound. And all of a sudden we see my mother and my my daughter being um, being taken by the police. And I remember my father looks at me and says, you think we should bail them out or let them spend <laughs> the night and suffer through the consequences? It was a norm. You know, you do this for Jewish people. You do this to help Jews. And something you're really going to laugh at, I have a, my mother lives with me now. She's 93 years old, Gazunz. And about three years ago, she heard there was a demonstration at Barclays Center. That's a place in Brooklyn. It's where they have concerts. And there's this despicable singer musician. I hope I'm pronouncing his name. I think his name is called uh, Roger Waters, who puts up a picture of a pig up on a balloon and he writes on it, Israel, and he puts up other type of signs when he performs and all of it is anti-Jewish and anti-Israel. And my mother says, you know, they're making a demonstration. I want to go. We were four people there and the police are looking at this 88 year old woman because we went a few years ago and they wanted to bring her a seat and they wanted to bring her some water. She goes, I don't need a seat. I don't want water. We do this to save Jews and we know how to save Jews. It was just part of life. It's mm. just, I heard it all the time. And um, we went, I, I was one of the girls and not many who went to seminary in those days. We're talking about, I graduated high school in 69 and I went to seminary in 72. It was part of the TI program. There were only three seminaries at that time, BJJ, Mahon Gold and Michlala. Mm. I went to Mahon Gold. And the education you got there was um, the Hamalevowitz, it was Rav Hadari from Yeshiva Takotel. It was just a whole different way of looking at the world and understanding the pivotal position of Eretz Yisrael and what it is and who it is. And one, one very short story, because I know our time is limited. I remember Rena um, was in camp and she was telling me, oh, you know, Tisha B'Av is coming. And I, I'm trying to think who it was who came to speak. I know he was from Muncie. 
it's not coming to me right at this moment, but he's a very prominent speaker. He was a, a Rosh Yeshiva of one of the yeshivas in Munsing. He was coming to speak on Tisha B'Av. And, um, you know, I said, oh, let me know what he says. I always love to hear what, you know, what the conversation is. So she called me afterwards and she said, you're not going to believe this, Ema. He started off with five minutes and he said, you invited me to speak on Eretz Yisrael. You invited me to speak on Tisha B'Av. You invited me to speak about the Horban bias. I went through your entire camp. You showed me the lunchroom. You showed me the shul. You showed me the gym. You showed me your library. There's not one picture of Eretz Yisrael in this entire place. Why am I talking about Eretz Yisrael? Do you miss it? Do you yearn for Kevin Rachel? Do you yearn to daven at the Kosel? If you do, we have pictures of our grandparents in our house. We miss them. We yearn for them. They're our legacy. They're our Misora. Where is Eretz Yisrael in your life? He said, I feel like a pony, but I know you're going to get these pictures and I know you're going to introduce it. So I'll speak anyway. Well, that's such a, it's a good reminder for us also. Um, let me just go back to uh, JDL and Rabbi Kahana for a second. Did your parents have a personal relationship with him? Yes, they knew him quite, quite well. Um, whenever he would speak, and there was not every shul that would allow him to speak, mm-hmm. Rabbi, um, gosh, I'm sorry, senior moments. Um, I have um, them young... also, but I'm also maybe getting a little <laughs> bit more senior. Young Israel Far Rockaway, Rabbi Bullman. Rabbi mm-hmm. Bullman was a big fan of Rabbi Kahana. He used to invite him to speak at his shul. Rabbi Belitsky from the Young Israel of New Hyde Park would invite him. So whenever he was speaking, we would go. My parents would go, my brother and I. We would give out any type of flyers at that time, sometimes do fundraising. At the Israel Day Parade, we would both walk around holding a big Israeli flag asking for tzedakah for JDL. We were busy addressing envelopes, mailing out envelopes. Um, I would say that after a certain amount of time, there was a little bit of a disillusionment, um, but that could happen to anyone. But the idea of what he stood for, Jewish pride and Jewish dignity, and stand straight and walk like a Jew and be proud and do a Kiddush Hashem um, is something that is remarkable and it remained with him. I remember that Reb Birnbaum used to say that he was a Talmud in the mirror. And he used to say if he continued in learning, you know, he would have been one of the main gadolim of the next generation. And he he comp- he considered that himself that he was the leader of the next generation, but in a different aspect of Torah Hashem. Anytime I went to Israel, I always brought a duffel bag with me of clothing or shaitals or stuffed animal. And um, it was just like a norm. And I used to like look around at other people and wonder, why aren't they doing the same? When Rena also was in seminary, I asked permission if I, I went there, Hanukkah, I asked permission, can um, I take Rina and a few friends to Hadassah Hospital? We gave out a whole bunch of toys. I was working in Shalamit then, and I collected money. 
and Amazing Savings gave me so much little gadgets and toys and watches and tchotchkes, as we call them. And we filled up a huge duffel bag. And when we went to Israel, we went to um, we went to the hospital. We gave them out. And, and it just brought such simcha to the people there. Um, I must admit, I made one error. I remember I had a watch and I was going from room to room giving out these watches. And one woman came over to me and she says, you forgot to come in and give my child a gift. She was wearing an Arab um, lavush and a hijab and a long robe. And I said to her, does your son celebrate Hanukkah? And she said, no, not at all. We're not Jewish. I said, well, these were donated by um, a school in America for the Jewish students. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, you know, that's I can't give you one. And I remember when I went back and told my husband, he said, I really think you need to call with David Feinstein. That just doesn't sound like the right thing that you did. And I remember when I spoke to him about it, he said, Laman, Shalom, that's not what we do. You give out mm -hmm. to everyone. You don't discriminate. And even though as a JDLer, that's so internally part of your system, it's not the right thing to do. But it was such an interesting day because I remember one Hasidish young boy asked his father, can I take this watch? Because it looks like Lavush Nekeva, like it might have had a picture of, I don't know, Mickey Mouse or some type mm. of, maybe it was feminine. Right, right. It was just interesting things that come out. Wow. That's so nice. Okay, so let me ask you a little bit because we're getting, um, we've been talking for a while, but right, we're coming close on your birthday, also known as Yom Yerushalayim. For some reason, I, it just strikes me in a more emotional way than even Yom Hatzma'ot does. I don't know why, maybe because I feel like when I think of Yom Hatzma'ot, I think more of a physical victory. And when I think of Yom Yerushalayim, I think more of a spiritual victory. And like, you know, also we've seen the footage of Yom Yerushalayim where we don't really have footage so much of Yom Hatzma'ot, but like that sort of iconic video clip that we have and everybody's screaming and then also it's just obviously there's no coincidences in this world but you know Yom Shalim happened six days before Shavuos and so the first time that Jews were able to go onto Harbias the first time in you know 2,000 years that Harbias was you know under Jewish sovereignty was Shavuos because it took them I think a few days to clear away the landmines before it was safe to go up. So any thoughts to share about Yom Yerushalayim or maybe even the juxtaposition to Shavuos? You know, I, I think, what, I I think what you said is really very um, essential. You know, Yom Atzma'ut was something, first of all, it was a little bit further from our memory and it was uh, a different type of battle, very uh, battle, very physical, a lot of um, terrible carbonos in both of those battles. I think Yerushalayim has a different place in our heart. Any of us who are davening every day, who B'nai Yerushalayim and our, uh, and our benching, Yerushalayim is who we are. Yerushalayim, ayin ha'olam, it's the center of the world. And as you say, we all remember when, um, I believe it was Rav Garin who said, Yerushalayim be your day, and it was finally in our hands. 
and the excitement, the happiness was, was overwhelming. I have a machatenist who lived in Romaima or Sarutskin at that time, and she was in the Beis Yaakov, and she said, everyone came out dancing in the street, Yerushalayim is ours, and we all benefit from it. Um, all of us go to Keva Rachel. Maybe those who are a little bit more adventurous will go to Marat But everyone, Yerushalayim, Berkaz, Kohanim, uh, uh, there are so many different, um, different Torahs, so much hashkafa about Yerushalayim. As a matter of fact, I just read yesterday on Aish, they had an article, why I longed, I think it was ED, why I longed for Yerushalayim. I mean, you must, you have to listen to these things. You have to be aware of them. Rabbi Asher Weiss speaks about it, Rabbi Leff, Rabbi Wein, you know, it, or um, um <laughs> Sivan Rachav speaks about it. Yerushalayim is who we are. That is where the Kisei HaKavod, where the Hester Panim is so limited, where we feel the closest. I believe that there are many reasons why it's very close to um, Shavuos. I can't um, pick something from my fingertips, but just like Kabbalah Satorah, is received, and we every year once again receive Kabbalah Satorah and Shavuos. I think many people receive Kabbalah's Eretz Yisrael on Yom Yerushalayim. It's something that's, you know, to me, it, it means a lot. <laughs> I, I have like three or four friends that all share Yom Yerushalayim as a birthday, and we all, really? you know, like talk about it, and, you know, we all feel that pride. And like what you mentioned before, uh, Mayoni is named after Yonatan Netanyahu from Antebi. And I remember we were in Suffolk County. We were in our yeshiva over there, Hask. And Rabbi Nyman came to give the shame to the new baby. And he asked my husband, what's the baby's name? And my husband says, Yonatan Aharon. And he goes, Yonatan or Yehonasan? He goes, no, Yonatan. And um, it was something, it probably made Yoni's life a little interesting. There was some of his rebellion that had a hard time calling him Yonatan. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they would call him Yonasan, I said, if Yonatan is too hard, call him Yoni, please. But that's his name. And Yoni himself read the books about Yonatan Netanyahu, you can ask him, he'll even tell you a lot about the person he's named after. And then we have Eliezer Yisrael, who was born on Hey Iyar, and his name is Eliezer Yisrael. And we celebrate that still every year with blue and white, and always that he, his wife, his children know it's a special day. And we all should be celebrating in our own ways, whether it's through tefillahs, whether it's through looking at pictures of Yerushalayim, whether it's through listening to Sheorim, but make it a part of your life. Make Israel something that means more to you than just, I'm going to seminary for the year. Make the people of Israel your real brothers and sisters, because that's what they are. That's where Hashem wants us to be. I just read something interesting. The Chassam Sofer says, last week's Pasha about Shemitah, it says a really crazy Pasuk, and the land was crying. I mean, come on now. 
anyone ever hear a land cry? You know, that's something the Baal Shem Tov used to hear. Do any of us hear? What does it mean the land was crying? And it goes on with the Mephoshim that the land was crying because the people have not returned home. And this was not said by me. It's said by the Hassan Sofer. You know, like, when are we returning home? So one of the embarrassing questions that always come up, Mrs. May, when are you leaving to Israel? When are you going on Aliyah? So we all know it's very hard, you know, to leave seven children behind. Um, some of them did live in Israel at one time. We thought maybe, maybe. And I remember going to ask a Shiloh. I said, you know, I feel like such a maybe hypocrite. I feel very guilty. And I feel that maybe I'm giving the wrong message. You know, you're talking about something, but you're not doing it. So I remember it was Rabbi Eliezer Sandler who said, what do you mean? You are an ambassador for Eretz Yisrael. Not every ambassador lives in the country. Some of them have to travel throughout the world. And they have to teach others, show others, and be a model to others. We did live in Israel for a year. We were there for a Shana Shabbaton. I would recommend that to everyone. I don't know if my children would agree with me, but <laughs> I would recommend that to everyone. It helped their ivrits. They really appreciated Eretz Yisrael. They got to see places. And they some of them even got to go to those interesting Israeli schools. I remember that was the year that we were in seminary, I believe, that you were in Eretz Yisrael when Sari and I were in seminary. They, that, that, that seminary, right. I remember, I recall. It made it easy for Shabbosim, and it was great when she would bring people home. This is such a great conversation, Mrs. May. I really appreciate it. Very inspired now before um, Yom Yerushalayim also. Um, and hopefully I will see you next time in person in Yerushalayim. Amen. Um, but this was really, it was really great. Happy birthday. Thank you. And have a good Yom Amen, amen. Thank you. This was a great time together, Yochaben. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I wanted to make a comment about Mrs. May's final statement because I thought it was really, really powerful and it actually really made me think. As you no doubt can tell, Mrs. May is an individual and she is not afraid to speak her opinion and share her thoughts with people. But she talked about individuality and knowing who you are. And she said something about the box being, you know, small and out of the box is just a much better place to be. And I think one of the things, at least for me, that I have learned by doing this podcast and talking to all these Jewish women is the incredible diversity of opinion and how unique and, and special every individual is and how much everybody has to give in their own unique way. And it's so diverse and it's so different. And yet at the same time, we are a cohesive group and externally we look alike, meaning we all have these like same rules of dress and we wear shaitals. And if you see like a group of Jewish women together, especially if they're, you know, part of the same cultural group, like a group of maybe girls in Lakewood are going to look different from a group of girls in B'nai Brak or a group of girls in London are going to look different from a group of girls in Australia or, or women of a certain age also. They'll be wearing the same things, which is what happens in every group, religious, non-religious. When you see groups, they... T together this is a group psychology thing we start to dress like each other we start to pay attention and we start to imitate each other and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but you you know see a group of jewish women together and it's easy even when you're in it to think uh, that there's somehow a cohesiveness of thought or that there isn't some sort of diversity and and 
color, in experience, in expression, in worldview, in outlook, in what people have to say, in personality, in all those things. And I love doing this podcast to be talking to so many women and hearing like what they have to offer, hearing the differences. And it's such an, it's a profound thing to be able to embrace that about ourselves. What unique gift do I have to offer? How am I different? We know that you know, each person can say about themselves that nobody ever existed like them in the past and there will never be anybody like them in the future. And so although we may know that, how much do we really embrace that about ourselves? How much time are we wasting trying to be like somebody else? And you could be who you are and be totally within the bounds of what the Torah asks us to be. In fact, I would even say that the halachos and the the, the guidance, the structure of the Torah really gives us the freedom to be ourselves in a very meaningful way. And so that was the thought that I wanted to share with you. Um, I had it after I was listening back to the podcast um, that I just did with Mrs. May. And, you know, I'd love to hear your feedback and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. So please be in touch with me at a deeper conversation, 120 at gmail.com. With thoughts, you can follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation. Uh, consider sponsoring the podcast at maverickpodcasting.com and giving the uh, podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. I would love to hear feedback. I would love to hear from you. And until the next episode, wishing you all a wonderful day.